lot of bananas and a lot of bananas for kids. I'm excited for today's episode. And when you give up 41 points, everybody's getting toasted. And Anthony Rinaldi. Avid, drunk league softball player. I was kind of a pitcher back in my little league days. Shout out Yankees. They're not going to lose a game the whole entire year. Now it's time for the show. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. This is the Double A Balls Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Romanello, and sitting next to me is always my man, Anthony Rinaldi. Andrew, how are you? As always, when we sit down and talk, and I'm doing good, and I know we have a lot to talk about, and Every sport is making news this week. We have the NFL Combine, a lot of things going on there. Your boy from Penn State making some noise. We are. Penn State. Hold on, real quick. You mean the Combine, the Underwear Olympics? Essentially, yeah, where you're gawking over NCAA athletes eligible to play in the NFL. Me. That's exactly what it is. Mike Golick always talks about that. Makes me laugh. We'll also get into NCAA looking to change the transfer rule, the NBA 15 in a row for the Houston Rockets, the MLB, the Dark Knight, maybe rising again in New York. Let's go Mets. And then, of course, a little bit of what do you got? A jam-packed episode eight. The Ocho. We're excited, and and I'm actually a little bit frustrated to start the show right now because the Steelers franchise tag Le'Veon Bell for the second straight year, and I just think Le'Veon Bell has proven himself enough in the NFL that he shouldn't be getting the franchise tag for the second straight year. How much does that guy make? I mean, last year the franchise tag was $12.1 million. I don't know what the 2018 number is going to be, but that's where the running back slot was in 2017. Would you say that's not a lot of bananas? That's a lot of bananas. I wasn't angry because I can't be angry at making $12 million, No. But I agree. The amount of times Le'Veon Bell touches that ball, protects your quarterback, is on the field, does what he does in the backfield. Guy's a superstar. He's a stud. I mean, you got to pay that man. Give him a few years. Let the man make that bread. Le'Veon Bell said this about the contract dispute between him and the Pittsburgh Steelers. We're not coming to a number we both agree on. They are too low, or I guess they feel I'm too high. I'm playing for strictly my value to the team. That's what I'm asking. I don't think I should settle for anything less than what I'm valued at. And I don't think, Ant, that he's wrong for saying that. And I think the thought in the back of his mind is, or in the front of his mind, and it's in the front of every running back's mind, is the number 30 is the number where most running backs start to be devalued by NFL franchises. And Le'Veon Bell's 26 years old, and I think he's looking at it as, this is probably my only opportunity to cash in in a long-term deal and know that I'm secured for a certain amount of guaranteed money that I can set my life up with. And he does not want to potentially go through an injury on another franchise tag and lose the opportunity. He watched Odell Beckham Jr. get injured last year. He was in a little bit of a contract dispute with the New York Giants. These things have happened to players in the past, and I don't think Le'Veon Bell wants to go through that and take that risk. Listen, I can't, I can't argue with that concept. I mean, you, you know running back position is futile. You're getting hit. That's like a, a car wreck every time you're getting hit out there. And – I think I heard the stat yesterday, the other day. I think he even said it. He he gave he himself has given up zero sacks when he's on the field. That right there alone should get that man paid. Absolutely. Because if your quarterback, it's not upright, just being a running back. If your quarterback's Ben Roethlisberger, he's upright. He's throwing the ball to AB. I mean, the Steelers are good for a reason. Last year, Le'Veon Bell 
rushed for 1,291 yards, nine touchdowns, but also caught 85 passes for 655 yards and two TDs. He was responsible for 11 touchdowns over 1,800 yards between receiving and rushing yards. So let's let's backtrack a little bit, though, in case anybody's not familiar with the franchise tag. I mean, I'm sure we have some many avid football fan listeners out there. But real quick, Andrew, from my knowledge is basically it's just this is just a little uh, a timetable right now. Is the franchise tag is still just so they can keep the player on the roster, and they have now till that July 15th or 16th, whatever date that is, to get a deal done in place until the regular season. Is that correct? Yes. Like that? Yes. And do you have a, a breakdown of, of pricing? For every position? Yes. So if you go through, so each position gets, it's the average of the top 10 contracts of the highest played at your position. I think it's five. I think it's top five players. Top five players like in either each way, position. Either way, you're getting an average of, so the, of the best of the best. I have 2017's franchise tag value, which they're not going to be that far off this year. I mean, Kirk Cousins is probably, I guess, going to change that number, but we'll look further into that. Either way. The quarterback position, which is obviously the highest paid position, $21.2 million. That should be higher. Tom Brady screws that shit up. The next highest number was defensive end, and you were talking about this before. That was $16.9 million. The third highest is wide receiver, and that doesn't surprise me because they're the divas, so they're going to argue and complain about getting getting paid that much money. And that's $15.68 million. And then the fourth highest number is linebackers, and that's 14.5. And then other positions fall into place accordingly. Obviously, the lowest number on the board is kicker and punter. That's $4.8 million. Uh, Cornerback is actually pretty high. That's the fifth highest or sixth highest behind offensive line. So that's kind of the breakdown there. Either way, the one way I look at it, and maybe that's just because I'm the average person, that's a lot of money for one single NFL season. Right, and I mean, it's 16 games. you got to break down those checks. I think if Le'Veon Bell holds out and doesn't play, I think he costs himself $850,000 a game. The only problem is the NFL isn't guaranteed. So if they get hurt, they could just get dropped from that team and not get all that money. You're right, and that's the, that's what the franchise tag it, It's It's good for, obviously, it's it was put in place by the owners to and, – and, and you know the PA kind of uh, uh, the play association they agreed to it because it's kind of one of those sliding in the contract you know give us a bone here and they kind of got screwed with that maybe they'll change that in the next few years when that comes about but I mean you see the four or five guys that got franchise tagged I know the one dude I think it was the Cowboys right the the DN Demarcus Lawrence yep my man signed that tender quick he jumped up I think he's making 800k last year now he's making 17 million pay me pay me all right and to stay on running backs. To move to the draft, because I want to talk a little bit of draft with you, because I want to get your opinion, of course, on the New York Giants with the number two pick in the draft. Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley. They're looking at him. He's ran a 4-4 at the Combine. He benched a ridiculous amount of reps at 225. He's been pretty much one of the top performers at the Combine. Would you want to see the New York Giants... Use that pick on Saquon Barkley. I know you want to see the Dolphins use that pick on Barkley. You want all the players. Well, I, you know that. But you know I... It's a, it's a regular answer for me. I am a Penn State homer. We are. Penn State. And I watched that man play the last four years of college, and that dude, he tore it up. 
he's a he's a difference maker. And I forgot who quote I forgot what the quote was Max Kellerman, one of those talking heads over on ESPN. I forgot who it was. He said that he's like a mix of Le'Veon Bell, David Johnson. I think Adrian Peterson, he said, or something like that. Like a mix of all three of the top running backs. And he was the top performer at the bench press with 29 reps of 225. That was 39. 29. No, stop. I'm confirmed. NFL.com. They're liars. Higher than that. That's reckless. And he jumped 41 inches into the air. I can do that. From a standstill. I can do that. The man is a freak athletically. I think he might have just put himself into the conversation for number one pick overall. But this is what I think. I think... What the Giants want is they want everyone to believe they're going to draft Saquon Barkley at the two so that the Browns take Barkley at the one, the Giants take Josh Allen at the two, and then the Browns take either a Baker Mayfield or a Sam Darnold at the four because I know Josh Rosen said he didn't want to play with the Cleveland Browns anyways. But I think that's I think the Giants are baiting the Browns into taking Barkley by pumping up the fact that they want to draft him at the two. I think Gettleman and Shermer are, are keeping Eli, man. I think that's the, I think they have this faith in Davis Webb that he's he's the incumbent in two three years. I think Eli still got, I mean he's thirty six or thirty seven, maybe thirty seven by the start of, of camp next year, Eli. And if Tom Brady wants to play the forty five, I mean Eli's Gumby. This dude gets gets hit all the time and just pops right back up. Never been hurt besides the dumb coach and Ben Mack don't bench him for a, a game, broke a streak. He'd still be playing two hundred plus games. So I don't, I don't think the Giants need to go with the quarterback. I, I get it. You want? How could you pass up a franchise quarterback for the next ten to fifteen years? But honestly, I don't know about these kids coming out of college. There's a lot of hype pre pre college, and then once the season rolled out, you saw a lot of quieting down by those talking heads, like I mentioned before. So if I'm the Giants, either if Barkley's there, you take him. If not, I'm thinking I'm maybe moving down. Let me get more assets. I have way too many holes to fill. So you want to trade the pick and try and get either a later pick in the first round or maybe possibly a late pick in the first round, like an early second round pick, something in that range? Right. I mean, I'll take a later first round pick. You're going to stay in the first round by trading oh, the yes. two. It yeah, just 100%. depends on are you are you in the top five or the top ten maybe, when you maybe trade that you pick. Maybe switch the Jets. Get the Jets number two. We'll take number six. Would be that? Would that be the first time in NFL history that the Jets and the Giants swapped a pick? Didn't the Rangers and Devils make a trade? First time ever. Look at that. Well, maybe other New York teams can help each other out because it's been a tough New York sports year. Oh, brutal. The other guy I want to talk about the combine in is Shaquem Griffin. And I just think it's awesome that what he's doing and the numbers he's putting up. I watched that video of him running a 4-3-8, 40-yard dash. Man, that man can move. in a 40-yard dash? And 20 reps on the bench press 225 with a prosthetic hand. One arm. One arm. Lost his left arm, I believe, age four. I watched him do the linebacker drills. I watched him catch that pass. Unbelievable. And apparently, two of his three years in college, or all three years, I believe it was two of his three years in college, he had an interception. I think it's all three. I think you're right the first time. I think it's all three. Okay. It's all three. Gotta trust my gut there. Yeah, that's it. He had a lot of, a lot of tackles and uh, a lot of sacks last year for you for the undefeated UCF. Was that Black Knights? What's their? They deemed themselves the national champions. Uh, listen, undefeated season. That's that's no, that's no that's, easy task. And that's the fraud part of college football is that a team in just a lesser conference 
can't go to the national championship at 12 and 0 because some guys that sit in a room somewhere determine that their schedule isn't strong enough so they can't be one of the top four teams to go into the college football playoff which every single year is going to include Ohio State, Clemson, and Alabama and then a rotating fourth team. So really, what are we talking about here? Andrew dry, digresses mightily. I just I it's just How did you get on college football? I'm not going to go there. It's just it bothers me your because the combine is college football. Where do you players. think Griffin's going? Tell me. Do, do you know he's got a identical or a twin brother who plays for the I think Seahawks? I believe he's a cornerback. He is. And I believe Griffin's good. He's doing DB he's gonna drills. He's going to do, do DB day. drills, yeah. He's going to do both, though, I That's believe. Impressive. I believe he's doing linebacker drills and he's doing DB drills. And, I mean, the man moves. And you watch him You watch him move. He's agile. His feet are fast. I mean, 4-3-8. And I just – watching him run is, is beautiful. Maybe that's the baseball coach in me. Just watching guys run when we sit and watch the 60-yard dash when we're recruiting high school guys at, at camps and, and when we're at showcases and different things like that. It is when you get a kid that can run and you just see a flat out like six four, six five, there was I was working a camp at the Rockland Boulders, just to get on a tangent real quick. Rockland Boulders professional baseball team. I was working a camp and I was with their manager, Jamie Keefe, and this kid steps up and and runs the the sixty yard dash in about six four. And it was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. I mean he looked like a cheetah. And Jamie and I looked at each other, and we were just like, hey, you want to see that again? And Jamie just goes, yeah, I do. So he calls the kid over. He goes, hey, man, you just ran a 6-4. kid goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jamie goes, you think you could do that again? Yeah, 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 yeah. So he runs down. I mean, gets right back on the line. Run 6-4 again. And him and I are in awe three times. We made him go back. That's how good of a runner he was. And that's how impressive what Shaquem Griffin is for his size, how fast he runs. It looks like he's gliding. It's beautiful. What round? Who's picking him? Who, what do you think his potential is? See, it, I, what do you grade him out as? GM Andrew Romanella of the Miami Dolphins. You I know lost. I know, I know who's taking him. I'll tell you right now. Chalk it up March 6th, 2018. Are you going to tell me to write something down? Yeah, write it down. Or remember it because it's a podcast. What pick did New England Patriots have? 31 because they lost in the Super Bowl? Correct. Something like that. 30 or 31. There's 32 teams in the NFL. Is it 32? The 32nd team would be the Philadelphia Eagles. So you know they're taking him. They'll take him. Special teams. He'll be a stud. Belichick will make him MVP of the league. It's Chuck it up. All right. So you're saying he goes to the Patriots? 100%. First round. I feel like you've said this to me a lot, and then it's come back the exact opposite. Like he'll now be drafted number one overall. I have been right. I have been <laughs> wrong before. <laughs> I, I, you, again, you did say there would be no math. And you said GM hat. I watched a little bit of his tape from UCF because I was having fun watching some of his stuff on the combine. That's the true test, the tape. The man is an athlete. I think it just comes down to does a team trust the fact that he has one and a half arms? And I, I think he's proven – Already being a Division One football player on a 12-0 team, being a leader, being a very good player on that team, that he can do it. And he's athletic enough to get over that hurdle. I do think he's going to need a position change. I don't think he'll be a linebacker. Um, I think the cornerback's a good position. I think it's a position of less tackling, and I think that's where he needs to be. Um, obviously, wrapping up is a huge factor in tackling. And listen, again, it comes back to the fact that he played it at the NCAA level at a high level as a linebacker, but that transition to the NFL, you and I both know is difficult. My guess 
is high teens, low 20s. Um, and then if it really kind of gets to a point where kind of funky stuff starts happening in the draft and just because he drops, I don't see it being later than early second round. Yeah, I'm, I'm just joking. I don't – there's no – I mean, personally, I'd like to see the kid go wherever he goes, hopefully in the first round, but he'll probably be a second, maybe third, because you kind of try to get those third, fourth round, fifth round guys are kind of like your home run or your bust kind of picks. You're going basically off talent. You've seen them – and you know what? I don't know if it's cliche to say about – but I feel like everybody who has – uh, a disability like one, you know, losing a limb due to some kind of uh, horrific, you know, cancerous type thing as a kid, like he did at age four. But he doesn't look at himself as, as as somebody who only has one limb. It's inspirational stuff. Dude plays like he's got two limbs, and you can see when he at, during his UCF days, because you know what they they highlight a lot of his a lot of his tackles and stuff because you know what they were undefeated last year, and they, that was the question all throughout your 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 tangent over there about the NCAA football. And you know, will they make the top four? Will they will they break it? And you know, they never did, and they whooped up in the Peach Bowl and self-proclaimed national championship. I love it. I love it, and I think that that is a problem. Another problem in the NCAA, and a lot of people have been talking about it because I, now that I'm on an NCAA rant, I need to talk to you about this. Two different things. We're talking a lot about college basketball and trying to find a way to figure out this one-and-done thing. Can the NBA step in? They're going to step in and do some things. But before we get to that, they are talking about changing the transfer rule in NCAA. I kind of feel some type of way about it. I am an NCAA transfer athlete as well as my brother. So I have gone through the process before. However, we both didn't go through it on the Division I level. We both went through it on the Division Three and the Division Two level. So it's a little bit different. But really, that's all we're talking about is the Division I level. And what the argument is, is coaches can just leave a school and there's no consequences. When a player wants to leave a school, if a quarterback essentially is stuck behind another quarterback. The example is always Davis Webb, Patrick Mahomes III, and Baker Mayfield were all at one point in the quarterback's locker room of Texas Tech. Baker Mayfield goes to Oklahoma, wins a Heisman Trophy. Davis Webb goes to Tennessee, becomes a two-year starter, and Patrick Mahomes III gets drafted in the first round by the Kansas City Chiefs and is now handed the keys to a playoff contending car. You look at it from that standpoint, and you say that's what the players should be able to do. They shouldn't have to have it to sit out so they can make that transfer. Because if the coach can do it, why can't the player do it? We committed to the coach as a player. And if the coach just wants to up and leave to better his opportunity, to better his situation, maybe for him, maybe for his family, maybe for both, why can't the player do the same? It always parallels the argument of the player making money. But if the, the NCAA is not going to pay the player or allow the player to make profit off of him benefiting the institution, then the player should be able to benefit his own situation if he's unhappy at a school. I agree. And when I, when my brother-in-law became the Division One kicker at Rutgers, I kind of was wondering if he could you know, transfer to Penn State, you know, come to my squad, because, you know, no one wants to pay for Rutgers at my school. But uh, he goes to me, I got to sit out. That's Big Ten. You know, if, 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 you, if you transfer within, you know, a power conference or one of the top, you know, in a, an F, uh, C, FBS, which is, a, you know, what they go by, you can't get us out of here. But like you said, the coaches can just get up and, you know, oh, you're, you want to pay me eight more million dollars? I was just sitting in this kid's living room telling him I'm going to be his coach for the next four years. You can trust me. I'm your guy. And then you go up and leave to better yourself. 
So I, I wholeheartedly agree that players should be able to leave without consequence and go wherever they, they want to go. But I think this really is, is a step in the direction of the fact the NCAA is going to start paying players. Because you're going to have if, – if they do pass this rule where players, you know, can, can transfer, I feel like you're going to see a lot of, a lot of players transferring like, like a frenzy. Because you know these kids today, they're so, they're so quick to, you know, any kind of bad media, anything, any kind of smack talk about them, you're not getting the right reps, they're going to go cry to the papers and get me out of here, I want to play for somebody else, I want to play, you know, I deserve to play, Who, who's this guy back up, you know, getting reps? It'll be the Wild Wild West. Exactly. And you're going to see a bunch of... I'm out. I, I'm not getting played right away as a freshman. See ya. I'm gone. Right. So I think if you have maybe three, <coughs> three to four years of this nonsense, maybe the NCAA is like, all right, you know what, we can't have this... We're going to have to go to a free agency type of thing where players get paid now. Here's why, two reasons why I agree with the player. One from a coaching standpoint, one from the player standpoint. The first is from the player standpoint. You can be unhappy at a school and want to leave. And it isn't really the NCAA's job to determine when or when a kid shouldn't feel like they're allowed to leave an institution. From the coaching side of things, just to throw it, to the other side of the coin, you are committing a certain amount of scholarship money to that player. So you're hoping that player respects that fact, but that's another conversation. So the, the player believes that they should be able to leave whenever they want. The NCAA shouldn't be able to dictate that. From a coaching standpoint, and I've developed relationships and I've left institutions for to better my situation. I just did it six months ago. And it's a Division three baseball school to a Division two baseball school, but it's the exact same thing. You spend an entire year. We recruited 31 baseball players to the school that I was working at, and I built relationships with the 20 guys on the roster. We only graduated two players, so the entire roster was returning, plus the 31 guys that I had helped hand recruit as the recruiting coordinator, and on moving day, got offered another job, and it was a job I needed to take. It was my alma mater to where I am now at St. Thomas Aquinas, but I had to leave those players, and that was difficult. And I can't imagine a guy that is going to a school that is probably a professional talent or believes they could be or believes they could be a Heisman Trophy type talent, wants to go to an Alabama, wants to go to a Tennessee, wants to go to a Texas Tech, a TCU, a Florida State, a Clemson, an Oklahoma, or whatever it is. And they go to that school, but some other guy is just outperforming what the program had told them on the recruiting trail. Those things happen. You look at it realistically and say, hey, man, there's no hard feelings, but I need my opportunity because, A, I'm a guy that part of this college experience is the fact that I want to play. And, B, part of it's the fact that, hey, I want to get my videotape out there because I want to play pro football. The NCAA are a bunch of crooks, a bunch of old white I don't know what most, whatever they are. It is a hack system. They, I mean, you can't, the fact that they expect these kids to not, to be unhappy or whatever it is, what have you, not getting enough burn on the court, not, you know, not getting along with the coaching staff, but make them suffer and, and sit out an entire year. I mean, what's the likelihood that NCAA would pass a rule like this with the players can transfer and play right away and, and maybe possibly like uh, also the NBA and the NCAA talking about maybe getting rid of the one-and-done rule? I mean, there, there's a few rules that are always on the docket, I feel like. Well, the one-and-done is nutty because essentially they put it in place because they wanted to take away NF, excuse me, NBA 
scouts in high school gyms because it really kind of, again, go back to the Wild Wild West, got really nutty for a while in the late 90s, early 2000s. I mean, forever, honestly, but the 90s and the 2000s early really got hectic, and that's why they had to start looking at changing that rule. And a little bit after LeBron was drafted out of high school, that rule changed, and it's oh, kind of been five, a, I think. And it's, it's still been a mess since. Oh, yeah. No, listen, I, I, I'm not an NCAA – I'm not an NCAA aficionado. I never played college sports. But, I mean, I can't – I can't – I just – again, with Mark Emmert, that, that bum is so lost with that FBI scandal with his – you know, his, 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 his security or his, his uh, people couldn't figure out what all this uh, nonsense was about $40 bill going out to lunch with the, with the agent here, a thousand, $100,000 bills to this guy. I mean, when the FBI's got to get involved, I mean, what are we doing as a unit? And it's ridiculous because we're really we're talking about 16, 17-year-old kids and paying them, paying their families. And I'm not mad at the kid that wants to accept $100,000 to go play for a school because he knows his family needs it. I mean, how many people in the world cannot say yes to $100,000 when they're 16, 17 years old? And, and listen, you know, you offer even – you tell the parents, listen, here's, here's 100 grand, you know. Well, hide it this way. Do it that way. But my question, you know, how does the NBA, let's say with the one and done, Robbie, how, how do you get to those star elite? I mean, how many elite athlete 18-year-olds will be drafted in the NBA? One, two, maybe? Well, they're, they're already formulating a plan. So the thought process is there's not a lot of 18-year-olds that are really ready for the NBA. But what can the NBA do to give a guy an opportunity so instead of having to go to college, they can go – into an NBA G League prospect camp or go to the G League and be in a developmental situation like the baseball model or like almost a hockey model, that situation where you have a minors you build up in. Brian Windhorst of ESPN said this about what the NBA is talking about doing. A plan is expected to include the NBA starting relationships with the elite teenagers while they're in high school, providing skills to help them develop both on and off the court. It would ultimately open an alternate path to the NBA besides playing in college and in a way 18-year-olds could earn a meaningful salary either from NBA teams or as part of an enhanced option in the developmental G League. I think right off the bat, that's a great step. Yeah, I think right now G League guys make $26,000. Now, do you raise that number or... Do you keep that number a little bit lower because if you make it too easy to make the decision to go to the G League, then nobody's going to go play NCAA basketball, and then the product in the NCAA is going to go down dramatically. So do you raise that number a little bit but also make it to the point of, hey, maybe it's almost like an entry-level job. You're going to make $32,000 with maybe some commission based on how you play over the year and what numbers you can hit along the way. And or you can go to college for a year or maybe they make it two at that point. So it's either two years in college or you can go make a base salary at 32 if you're good enough to be in the NBA G League Developmental League. Maybe you can enter that league starting at 16 years old and you can stay in that league till you're 20 years old. And then at that point, it's either A, you've been drafted into the NBA or a team has signed you out of that league. Maybe you add two rounds to the NBA draft and then each team can take their third and fourth round draft picks essentially and that's how they build their G League rosters. 
There's so many things you could do, but the one thing you can't do is you can't kill NCAA basketball at the Division One level. You can't kill NCAA football at the Division One level if you start looking at those rules. That's the biggest thing because the bottom line is the product is very good, and the kids are still going to go to college because there are going to be a lot of parents that are very good basketball players specifically that are going to push their kid to at least go to college for two years and then go to the NBA and have at least half of their college done so that when they graduate, they can either A, finish it, or B, start from there. And that's a realistic option, but you can't make it too easy just to choose the G League option. Right, and like I said, the G League is 26 k I heard on the radio, you're talking about maybe Australia coming out with a right uh, I heard that. I like that. rising stars league where they pay you $78,000. And if you've got any, I guess, any talent, you can you know ship off back to America or play NBA. The thing that scares me is the one-year thing because it gets back to the one-and-done situation. So if you tell them, all right, you get one year and they're just terrible, but what if that that's not really who they are as a basketball player? It's just that they're 18 or 19 years old and they just couldn't figure it out professionally at that point. But you have a developmental side. That's what I, I want to see a minimum – of two to three years committed to these kids. If I'm going to choose not to go to college, and I know for 80% of kids, the education is a big factor, but because we're talking about a low percentage of kids. I don't know what the exact number might be, Ant. We're probably talking about 10 to 20 players each year from NCAA basketball, in theory, with the one and done. Maybe 40 kids try it, but we don't know about 20 to end up. We end up not knowing about 20 to 30 of those kids Truthfully, in the NBA, think about it. Right now, from last year's draft, you're probably talking about two to three players. Wasn't Markel Fultz number one pick? Didn't he he play hasn't even played a game. But my question, since you're a baseball guy, you know the whole baseball minor league system. Compare that. Could the NBA, you know, what do they get? They, they could draft your rights out of high school, but you still could go to college, right? Yes, but so. if you go to college, you're no longer your rights no longer hold with that team. It's either you sign and play or you go to college. At that point, you out now have a three-year window in college. You have to either A, have played three years of college baseball, so you have to have completed your junior year, or B, be 21 years old. C, you can go to junior college and get drafted at any time. So you can go to junior college for one year, or you can go to junior college for the two years and get drafted at any time out of junior college. So there are a lot of different options you have for baseball. Okay, that's why, because I, I know that the baseball, I know hockey has got a similar... Uh, yeah, the team holds your rights all, that's, if that's, you want to go to college. Hold your rights. Yeah. And also, this this crazy concept, what if the NBA, uh, the, also this is... Gotta be, this is way progressive, but you never know. Adam Silver, the new head of the NBA, I mean, this guy's crazy progressive. Kind of like soccer, I love him. Kind of like pro soccer, where now all these how many NBA teams are there? I believe uh, there are thirty NBA teams. Thirty NBA teams. They all have academies, like all these uh, big soccer, uh, like like the Man U or something. And they, you know, you draft these kids at 14, 15, or 16. See, I think say. that's a great idea. And then you just, you, you have them in your, you know, you house them, you board them, you do all that. It's like basically. It's essentially the IMG Academy in Florida. IMG Academy in Florida is a gigantic institution for all athletes, high-level high school athletes, to go to school and then get themselves ready to go to either a great college or potentially be drafted if they're eligible in their sport. That's exactly what it is. And I think that's a great idea. You're offering education, so you know these kids are going to at least graduate from high school. You know they're going to have some type of degree in their pocket. 
majority of them, again, I can't stress enough and how we're talking about such a low percentage of kids. So many kids, so many more NCAA kids are going to happen than a kid coming out of high school. Now, will this change the narrative? Sure. Sure. It'll change the narrative. You'll get a more percentage of kids that aren't going to the NCAA. But I think the bottom line is that talent level will drop a hair, but I don't think it's going to drop that much. Because I still think you're going to get a lot of kids that are going to go for the two years at NCAA because they're going to see the benefits of playing in front of 25,000 at Duke and North Carolina and all these great basketball schools and playing in high-pressure situations in March. That's still something that is beneficial about NCAA. It's really just deciding who do you believe as an individual would develop you better, the people from the G League and their developmental process or the high-level coach that's done it, been successful for a lot of years at the NCAA level. I think your boy Frank Isola said this today, and it just it, it, it struck me right in, the, right in the heartstrings. Everybody's my boy. The brand in college basketball are the schools and the coaches. The brand in the NBA are the players. My question to you, Andrew. I, I like that. Just, just let that settle in for a hot I let it second. settle. I like that. I want to go back real quick. What do you... Th- if, He's right. If the NBA were to do this type of uh, academy type situations, do you feel the larger markets would be at an advantage because they had have more money, per, let's say? Or would you set parameters where each team had only a certain amount of money they could spend per, per facility? Because like a, like a Man U who's rich, you know, they probably spend billions of dollars on a, a top-of-the-line facility, whereas maybe you have some little small market team, like let's say like your Oklahoma City Thunder, which isn't a large operation i mean obviously they have a great fan base but let's you know do you think large market versus small market would be even more in play well the bottom line is yes because the the g league and that nba stuff needs to be televised see the thing is the problem with the g league right now to your point is it's not televised so one the big markets so hold on hold on i watched my westchester Knicks. that's my point so the westchester knicks you literally have just read my mind. The Westchester Knicks can get fans because New York is a big market. The team affiliated with the Boston Celtics, the Los Angeles Lakers, the Los Angeles Clippers, those teams, the San Antonio Spurs, those teams can get a play from families that want to spend less money to go watch professional basketball and the people that think it's cool to watch the prospects. So those teams will get plays. But that's, again, five teams in the NBA that I just mentioned right there. That means 25 other teams, if you just thought about that in a small, quick, easy math scale, would not have the following, and the market for them isn't as big, and that's why they don't have the following. So yes, the TV deals need to be better. There needs to be a way to be broadcasted. I think first you start with a G League game of the week. You choose a night. Maybe it's not a high-volume TV night. Maybe it's a Tuesday. Maybe it's a Wednesday, but it's an 8 p.m. or it's a 7 p.m. start like a primetime basketball game would be. G League Basketball on ESPN or Fox Sports 1 or M- or one of these big networks, whatever it is, and that's how you get this thing going because these kids see the fact that they can start being on TV and now maybe they get endorsements, maybe they get shoe deals, maybe things like that start to happen before they even get to the NBA and that's the point of being able to have that option as opposed to going to the NCAA if that's not the route you want or need to take. Man, this is a touchy subject for you, Because sir. I'm in the NCAA as an employee. I, I'm in the NCAA as an employee, and I know so many people that are, and I love it. And every time I'm standing on the college baseball field and I'm standing at first base this weekend, it re-teaches me, it re-tells me whatever I want, you're try, I'm trying to say, that why I love it and why I want to do it and why I love being a part of it. But part of it 
parts of it are, are just unfair. And you see it, and I even see it at the Division II level. You're going to see it at every level. Even Here's a simple example, and I know there's so much more you want to get to on the basketball topic from the NBA too, but here's a simple example before we close out the NCAA. In Division Three baseball, you can max out of 40 games. You can't give scholarships. In Division Two baseball, you have you can max out of 50 games, and you can give up to 9.7 scholarships. Some schools nine. Some schools don't have any. That's another. But you can give up to that amount. At the Division One, you can give up to 11.2 scholarships, somewhere in that range, and you can play up to 60 games. Division three apparently is quote unquote where you're going to do academics first. Division two is kind of where you're really just kind of cut in the middle with a lot of kids that are cut in the middle. They want to do their sport a lot and they're not really that committed to academics or they are a pretty academic kid, but they want to kind of play a high level of baseball. And then division one, you're always going to try and get your high level athletes. That's just the way it works. That is just a simple example. Why can't it be fair across the board? Why can't I go to a high-level academic institution that plays in a Division Three conference and still get money to play athletics? That, to me, seems a little unfair. And part of it is the size of the institution and how many fans you can fit. That's what makes you a Division Three, a Division Two, or a Division One institution. If I can't fit more than 1,000 people in my gym, how can I be a Division One school? There is a cap number on that, and I get that. But if I want to be an athlete at that school specifically, why can't the school give me money to be an athlete, whether it's Division One, Division Two, or Division Three? Because the bottom line is, for me personally, and you would feel the same way if you went to school to be an athlete, Ant, at 5'6", 160 pounds, Division One baseball was a pipe dream for me. I went Division Three, transferred Division Two, got a little bit of scholarship money, but getting money to play baseball was a pipe dream for me. But wanting to play college athletics was what I wanted to do. So that's almost unfair. I build my entire 15-year life of youth hockey and baseball to be playing an NCAA sport, but yet because I'm not really a guy that can be a Division One athlete, they can't give me any money to be an athlete at any level, or they allot a less amount of money even in, well, in baseball to the Division One level too, but just in a lesser level than Division One, so I can't get as much of the pie as maybe I would have gotten, of course, if I was a Division One talent. That's what, I mean, I, I don't really want to get into the mathematics. That pay scale for all college athletes, field hockey, tennis, golf, baseball, football, soccer, it don't matter what the athlete is, what they're making, Division One, two, three, 11th grade, 12th grade, 13th grade, whatever you're in, I mean... How do you how do you break down? Are they making 100 bucks a game, about 50 a game? If you're Division One, you're making 200 bucks a game. Like, I know, like I said, I I can't imagine playing, being a Division One college athlete, expected to perform at the highest level, you know, and perform unbelievably, and then still go to class, take your test, write your papers, do all your work. I mean, really, a lot of these kids, everyone says, oh, free education, that should be their payment. That's payment enough. A lot of people walk out of college with thousands, hundreds of thousands dollars of debt. I got a lot of debt, college debt. I know people who are thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt in college. Now these athletes who do get that, who are lucky enough to get those full scholarships, get that free ride. Don't, don't have college loans to worry about when they get out in the, in the real world. And how many, honestly, out of, out of all the student athletes, how many of them go pro? 1%? Yeah, e- easily. In football, in basketball, in baseball and in hockey 
Those four sports, it's a higher percentage. The MLS is rising. The lacrosse league is eh. And the other sports, as most people know, don't really have professional leagues. The softballs, the swimmings, the divings. I'm not going to get into all of them, but insert X amount of sports here don't have the professional leagues that they can even go to. Really, the Olympics is essentially what their pro sports would be. Right. I mean, like I said, this topic is endless. The NCAA is a mess. I don't know why it's in, it should be dissolved, blown up, get rid of it. Pay the damn kids. Let them do what they got to do. They should call 360 Management Services and try and restructure what, plug for the what their leadership process is. And, you know, I could go on forever. And, it, again, it's because I'm knee-deep in it as a Division II baseball coach. And, again, I love it. Before we keep going, we're going to plug our Twitter, at Double A Balls on Twitter, at Double A Balls on Instagram. Tweet us. Instagram us. DM us, slide in the DMs, you know the deal, it is a social media blitz, and now, episode 8, the Ocho. we're excited to announce, we are now officially downloadable on iTunes, so subscribe on iTunes to the Double A Balls Podcast, you can obviously catch us on DAABpodcast.com, on Podbean, on Anchor as well, so a lot of different outlets, YouTube, add to the list. Find the Double A Balls podcast, but go to iTunes. Hit that subscribe button on iTunes. Listen, you don't even have to listen. Just hit the subscribe button. Just hit the subscribe button and get the email about when we release a podcast, which is every Wednesday morning. Become a listener. We're working on those t-shirts. We're working on some of that apparel for you. I know I'll be repping my Double A Balls sweatshirt when we get that order in as well. Right now, in Houston, Texas, a lot of people are repping the Rockets jerseys on their 15-game winning streak. Houston, they don't have a problem. No, not 15. at all. Didn't I call it? My what do you got? You called it. Well, don't. Well, I said to watch it. It's only at 15. Or going for 15. And you knew they had to beat the Clippers, which they did. Yeah, they it did. was a good game. Cost me some bananas. Some bananas gone. And then they go 15 and beat the Celtics in a really good game, Anthony. But, but before we get into that, what's the What's that live, up-to-date? They're playing right now against your OKC Thunder. Yeah, they are. I think they're getting whooped. I mean, uh, Rockets are whooping ass, I think. 94-80, to 80, eight minutes left in the fourth quarter. Mm. By the time this oh, podcast ends, we'll most likely know the end of that score. By the That's time just, you listen to it, it'll, of course, be Andrew, fine. Andrew, real quick, look it up. I think it's – was it 16 games by the Celtics? I forgot who it was. Six, there's a team that had 16 straight, I think, is maybe the record. This know. season. I think – or no, it was this season or – 16-game winning streak by the Celtics this year. They'll, they'll tie it tonight. Unless, beating okay, OKC. unless your boy Melo does something magical. They won't. I, I I think at the end of the day, it's Golden State Warriors and the Houston Rockets. I'm going to throw this little tidbit out there just because this is fascinating. Houston is right now is, is on the cusp of a 16-game winning streak, which came on the heels of a 14-game winning streak, and they're only up a half game on the Golden State Warriors. Unbelievable. That's just how good the Golden State Warriors are. That's how good they are. But I, I told you earlier when I came here, I had a stat about your boy Mike D'Antoni, his coaching, his coaching ability. You did, and it was a great stat. I I, I actually loved D'Antoni when he was a Knicks coach because it was you know, obviously he's a running gun offense, seven seconds or less, chuck it up. You should come coach the Purple Squad that team. Well, uh, don't even talk about uh, it. But he, listen, listen to this: your two superstars, James Harden, the bearded one, and CP3. They play together on the court for 725 minutes together. When they play separately, 
1,820 minutes apart. That's an unbelievable stat. Uh, double. And it's such a genius thought process because you really don't need them both on the floor that often because you know already they both can carry their own team. They both can carry their own offensive unit. So really, and my guess is, Anthony, a lot of that time played together is in crunch time situations as opposed to throughout the course of the game playing itself out. Right. My guess is they probably start – actually, I don't even know if they start. I think Steve Freeman called the – I don't even know. Either way, you look at – I mean, that's probably the simplest idea. Oh, I have two superstars? I'll stretch them out so they're not playing together. But he literally has a commander-in-chief running his offense the entire game. Yes. Which is vital when it comes down to crunch time, especially when you want to run, run that running gun offense. And listen, i gotta, I got to shout out the GM, Daryl Morey. Great job putting this team together. Unbelievable job putting this team together. Besides the two superstars, I mean, they have, they have the rim protector. In, uh, what's his face? Capella. Capella, yep. They, they drafted him, I think, in the first round. The end of the first round a few years ago. And they got a legit bench of role players. A whole squad of role players. Trevor Ariza. They'll be good PJ for a while. Tucker. Nene. Your boy, Eric Gordon. My boy. You got a lot of boys. I wish Eric Gordon was my boy. I'd probably be having a lot of fun on the you weekends. You probably want him on the Dolphins, don't you? I want everyone on the Dolphins. If you're an athlete, come on down to Miami. We could use you. Do you think they're going to take Golden State to the wire? I mean, right now you got to think that's going to be the Western Conference championship. Golden State versus Houston. And listen, Houston may have that, that home seed, that home court. And I said it last week, and I'm, I'm going to keep saying it. I think that's going to matter. I do think, and I do think at the end of the day, the Golden State Warriors will probably end up being the number one seed in the Western Conference anyways. But if the Houston Rockets can find a way to go into the playoffs as the one seed – I seriously, seriously think that is going to be a factor because obviously I think you agree. I think I agree. I think all of America agrees. The Houston Rockets and the Golden State Warriors are going to end up in the Western Conference Finals. But I really do believe it comes down to a Game 7. Home court advantage is going to matter, and the Rockets are going to have it if they find a way to lock up that one seed. You mentioned before it's only a half-game lead. So is it really a conversation? Yeah, but no because – like I said, I do think the Golden State Warriors, their experience, they know what they're doing the last 20 games of the season. They're going to find a way to lock it up. I don't want to believe the Rockets are the cop. I mean, I, I guess the NBA needs competition because they don't want Golden State just to run through. Rough shot like they did last year. For my personal bananas, I don't want Houston to even step up to my Golden State Warriors. That's right. I'm calling my Golden State Warriors because I'm dropping my Knicks for this podcast purposes so I can watch something basketball-wise. That you enjoy. I enjoy you, right? But Houston, Houston's legit, dude. They're they're very legit. They're going to be a legit for a little this, while. This, all right, I'm going I'm to say it's a W tonight. So 16 wins. Out of those 16 wins, how many do you think came against teams with over 500 record? I would say 60%. What is that? You want to? I would uh, say. There, there, give me a number. Out nine of, wins. Higher, Bob. Twelve. Lower, Bob. Ten. Eleven. Wow. <laughs> 11 out of 16. That's what's impressive. How about this one? How about this one? I'm full of nuggets. Hot take. Hot takes. More than half of them have come on the road, too. So I don't think it matters play. if they go home court. I don't think it matters if they go home court. They it does. The road. It doesn't, but it does. Because in this scenario, the Rockets don't have the deep playoff run experience, and the Golden State Warriors do. That's why I think it matters. Yeah, in the regular season – 
it might not matter as much. But in the postseason, that's where it comes into play. And the experience on the Warriors' sidelines is just that much more than the Rockets' sidelines. So in a Game 7, because I haven't seen Harden prove it to me yet, I haven't seen Chris Paul prove it to me yet, they they can get to the NBA Finals. Even on the same team, even on a 15-game winning streak, no matter what, you need to prove to me that you can play at the end of June in the Finals, most likely against LeBron. That makes sense. And your boy D'Antoni, I don't think he's ever coached in the Finals. He's, he's coached some playoff teams. Some early on with Phoenix, I know that. The Knicks never did anything with him. It's a lot of inexperience on the Rocket sidelines, and you keep saying it. That's why you think you look at it and say the Warriors are probably the team that no matter what, the Rockets could win every game the remainder of this season and still lock up the one seed. But to your point, to your continued point, you're going to favor the Golden State Warriors no matter what. Historically, a top 10 team in defense and offense is what is the winning formula for an NBA championship. And that's exactly what the Golden State Warriors have, and I think that's what the, was the most impressive about Durant right. going and I don't, think, I don't think a Mike D'Antoni team it's, knows defense. No, they don't play good but defense. But Houston has greatly improved their they defense. They have. To, They're to playing the defense. I mean, that Boston, was that game in, in Houston? I think it was, no. right? Was that Houston? Yes, game? it was in Houston. Because you saw that crowd got into it. and, and brought, I mean, They were down six with a little bit of time left. I know? think I watched the lap on, to, on Instagram of... The Rockets fan pumping his fist once they won the game or like with like 10 seconds left once they secured the win of the game. And you could just see how excited that crowd is, that fan base is for what this Rockets team is doing. Yeah, I feel like that's – is it an NBA town, NFL, the Texans? I don't know. Cowboys, that's, that's more than Dallas. Well, now I think it's becoming a Rockets town. I was going to say, boy, James Harden. Just... It started with James Harden, my boy, James Harden, which I'm sad that didn't get a chance to win it title with the Oklahoma City Thunder and the Rockets stripped it down started with James Harden and they rebuilt it and before we keep going if you need something rebuilt if you need one of the best custom home builders rebuilders the best in additions renovations bath and kitchen remodels interior special trim a specialist in everything you need for your house, redoing or building, Frankie Franchise Construction, one of the most reliable in the business at 973-789-6236 or email at frank.franchiseconstruction at gmail.com. Hit him up. He's the man. He'll make your house look fantastic. We tell you once, we'll tell you always. We just want you to go home to one of the best-looking houses you possibly can, and Frankie Franchise Construction can do that for you. Wait, hold the presses, hold the presses. Frankie Franchise also does snow plowing. Plow it. You know, there's snow coming. In the Northeast, we're about to get hammered. You hope you're listening to this podcast while getting snowed in. So, call Frankie Franchise, have him come plow you out. Come plow the driveway. He does it all. So, again, 973-789-6236 or frank.franchiseconstruction at gmail.com. Social media blitz. At Double A Balls on Twitter, at Double A Balls on Gmail. Hit us up. You kept saying the word Rockets. My mind always finds a way to go back to baseball. Matt Harvey was on the mound the other day. He was throwing Rockets at 96, 97 miles per hour into the mid. 48 pitches, 27 strikes. He's had two spring training starts, and he's looked really good. Tossed three scoreless the other day. I am excited because the dark night is rising again. Oh, stop it. I think Matt Harvey needs to drop that stupid title. Matt Harvey, he's going to be your number three. You hope you got the Grominator and Syndergaard. 
if you get half of what you think you're going to get out of Harvey, I think it's a plus side. I mean, I, listen, as a Mets fan, as the resident Mets fan, the diehard, the guy who hasn't sniffed a championship before he was born. Well, I guess you had the 2015 World Series. But that hurts. You're not going to resign. Let's go Mets. You're not going to resign that hard next year, are you? So I mean, it depends. What happens this year? It depends. I mean, he's making four point three million dollars this year, so obviously he's he's set to make more than that. If he has a good year this year, obviously that number is going to jump. But I think he's played his cards the wrong way, and he's definitely not going to get as much as it looked like he was going to get three or four years ago. He's getting older in age. He's had some injury, and he has proven that his life outside of baseball, especially in New York, may not be the greatest situation. However, if he bounces back, he has a great connection with Mickey Callaway. Early returns say it's already a plus, but the truth of the matter is the Mets don't need Matt Harvey to be the Dark Knight again. Matt Harvey doesn't need to be the Dark Knight again. Matt Harvey needs to go out, be consistent, give you 25 starts this year, go out, go six innings, two or three runs every time, have a 3-8 ERA, win you 13 or 14 games, and just be solid. Just be a solid arm throughout the entire course of the season. The Mets will probably monitor his pitch count for most of the year. My guess is the whole staff will be monitored for most of the year. I've heard a few numbers, 105, 110. I couldn't see most guys, especially early, going over that. Mickey Calloway's a pitching guy, so he's definitely going to stick with that. But that's all I need out of the 29-year-old Matt Harvey. Mickey Calloway said that Matt Harvey didn't even have his best stuff against Florida played like Tigers. I and that's what's exciting. Yeah, it was the Tigers. I was. Look at that. Nailed it. Oh boy. But he even said that's when you know you're kind of not locked in, but what do you take out of spring training? I'm always fascinated because I feel like pitchers, a lot of pitchers tend to take spring training, a lot of, a lot of your veterans take spring training. It's not a, not a joke, but a kind of a time frame to kind of mess around. Let me try different arm angles. Let me try different uh, pitches. Let me try to work to work different this, that, and the other thing. To But... I mean, talk to me. You're the, you're the baseball guy. You're the Mets fan. You, you guys need relying on that pitching staff. That is your bread and butter. That's why you hired a pitching coach, Mickey Calloway. Tell me. Talk to me. What do you got for – who's your staff? I mean, DeGrom's already hurt. I don't know how serious that is. I don't think it's going to be that bad. I think they're going to be safe with him. But your staff is hopefully Noah Syndergaard, Matt Harvey, Jacob DeGrom, I do think Jason Vargas is going to be in the rotation. He'll be your four. His veteran presence needs to be in there. Your boy Matt's is garbage. And I, then I think it's going to be Zach Wheeler because Steven Matt's right now has proven that he can't do anything but get shelled. Again, early returns, premature, getting shelled in two spring training games. We've seen this so many times. So to answer your question, the veterans go into spring training and they just try to get their bodies ready. I don't, they don't really care about their results. They just want to go in. They want to get feel for their pitches. They want to find their location. They want to find their rhythm. If they're a hitter, they want to start seeing the baseball, start recognizing pitches, start figuring out what their approach is going to be, figuring out really what type of hitter they're going to be that year, how they can succeed, X, Y, and Z, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. For the young guys, you just want to get them experience. You want them to feel what Major League Baseball feels like, what Major League Baseball talent looks like. You want your high-level prospects to get the taste of that. You want the high-level prospects especially to learn from the veterans, from especially your best players on your team. Sit next to them in the locker room. A lot of organizations will put the high-level prospect next to the best player on the team. If it's a shortstop with the shortstop, there was a kid that got drafted. His name was Anthony Dwyer, played for the Salisbury School. I played against him for two years when I was at the Gunnery. 
And he got drafted by the Philadelphia Phillies at the time. Jimmy Rawlings was their shortstop, and that's when the Phillies were 2008, 2009. He got drafted in the 2008 draft, and that's when the Phillies, the year before they won the World Series. And that spring training, he was their first-round draft pick. And that spring training, his locker was put directly next to Jimmy Rawlings. And the reason was, obviously, he's a first-round draft pick and shortstop. They're looking for him to be their player of the future. We need you to learn from the guy that's the veteran doing it at the big league level now, consistently helping us try and win and eventually winning a championship. We need you to learn from that guy. That's spring training. The, the manager's trying to get a feel for his players, how he wants to use guys, what situations they're going to be in. That might not be the nutshell, but that's really kind of the overall, without getting really, really deep into it, what Major League Baseball spring training is for these players. And coaches and managers and organizations and general managers, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I think was it was, it was, it was earlier today, all your boys, Michael K, Donnie LaGreca, and Rosenberg from uh, the Michael K show, they were talking about why is the MLB uh, preseason take forever? It feels like it's, it's like, what, three, four weeks? Although baseball starts March 29th. I didn't realize that's opening day. It's right around the corner. They moved it up because they want to get they want to start trying to get away from the World Series being played so late and falling into November. You know, October is considered the baseball postseason. Derek Jeter, Mr. October, all these different nicknames have have come from dominating October baseball. Well, recently the World Series has fallen into November and baseball's trying to get away from that. So they started earlier at the at the back end of March so that they can try and get away from that at the back end of the season. Right. And they were saying, I think Michael Kay said it, obviously he's, when it comes to baseball, he's been around his whole life. Batters, two weeks. That's all he needs. Two weeks for your timing and they're good to go. He said it's all about the pitchers. The pitchers are the ones that need at least five at least five starts to get wrapped up to about 90 pitches. And that's why their pitchers, the pitchers show up earlier in spring training, about six to seven days earlier in spring training. And that's why you'll see a lot of position players not play in the first week or so of spring training, get in at bat here, innings in the field here, because there's really no need for them to have to play that early, especially if it's a guy that you're hoping to get 140 to 162 games out of and be highly effective for your team throughout the season. Talk to me about the Mets farm system and why on God's green earth, well, maybe God could help me this one, Tim Tebow's getting three at-bats per game. So. Yeah, and that's a, that's a problem. There's your, no need for is that. Is your boy going to start in left field for the New York Mets this year? No, I don't see Tim Tebow being in the major leagues. I do think maybe they do put him in the major leagues as a September call-up at some point. If a season goes by the wayside, either this year or next year. I don't see him being professional baseball much longer than that. I do see the power potential. He changed his swing. I've seen it. I watched him change his swing. Um, But at the end of the day, I just don't see Tim Tebow in the major leagues, and I don't see why. But I think that shows the lack of depth in the Mets farm system currently, why you can seriously consider thinking about giving a guy like Tim Tebow major league spring training at bats. Since you dropped. Nuggets of stats on me about your boy Matt Harvey. Okay. Tim Tebow's bad in 091. Right. He definitely deserves three at bats per per spring, you know, per per game to get that to work on that. But listen, it all it's already said and done. He's coming up in September for the Mets. Maybe even earlier, like I said, if you're out of it, sell a few tickets. But I don't think Sandy Olsen said it. Out of that, that a 30 year old who batted 212 last year, or 220, whatever it was, in, in single in double A, high double A, whatever he got to. 
that he sees potentially he's going to be an, an, an everyday ML beer. Maybe he's an everyday ML beer. You can see the potential, but I just think because he's 29, about to be 30 years old, I just don't see how he could be a guy that can be a major league baseball player. Think about it. He's supposed to be in the prime of his career right now. There's got to be somebody. I know as weak as your system may be, there's got to be somebody down there that is worthy of those at-bats. I mean, yeah, great. give him one or two. Don't give him all three. I mean, there's no need to see it. He's going 0 for, uh, 0 for 3, 0 for 2, 0, you know, golden sombreros nightly. And I think what that's what's, what's going to happen is they're going to give him maybe one more week, try and make as much money and in the spring training process as possible. And then it's really, it's just, it's gone. They're, they're going to shatter it. It's going to be done. Let's jump ship, man. Let's talk about the real team in the year. Go across, go across town. You can go to the Yankees. Aaron Judge, the undefeated John Carl Stanton, and 0. the boys. You heard it in the open. Anthony believes 162-0. and 0. I, was, I was right for the first week of spring training. You know, we're 9-2 and two now. We lost two. We gave two back. Did you really believe they'd go undefeated in spring training, too? Come on. I thought about it. Did crossed, you, my, crossed my mind. Did you see John Carlos Stanton in left field the other day? That was brutal. Didn't look good. Looked like, looked like Andrew Romanella in left field. Oh, come on. I've never seen you play left field. One error. One error in my college career in left field. Nice. Senior day. I'll never forget. Oh, that. man. Tell me, explain that one real quick. Came running in on a fly ball. We were playing Dominican. I had a good day, though, man. I went three for five that day. Had an RBI. It was a good day. Ended up getting moved to third base to finish the game. Nonetheless. Okay. Hot corner. Come running in. It was bad, too. Runners on base. And it was a short fly ball in left field. I spent my whole life being an infielder. I converted to the outfield later on in my college career just to maximize my opportunity to be on the field. I came running in, wind blowing a little bit. I misjudged it. Before I knew it, I was doing that atypical, you've seen the Little League do it, Little Leaguer do it, where you reach behind, you kind of look up and kind of spin and just watch the ball fall behind you. Uh, that was me. Brutal. Yeah. What inning was that? Do you remember? Fifth. Fifth. All right. And then, How much time did we got for? You said you went three for five. About a minute later, our third baseman got hurt in the sixth inning. I was playing third base, and I could have been—I was probably the happiest person in that stadium at the time, just because when you make an error on the baseball field, and you feel it in every sport when you when you do something dumb that hurts your team, something along those lines, and everyone's just looking at you—that one person that did it—it's just a terrible feeling. Happens to the best of them. It does, and I, and that's why I think at the end of the day, John Carlos Tandon will be okay. One, he's going to look at his bank account and be okay. But two, he's in the big leagues and one of the best players in the big leagues for a reason. They're going to figure it out. I think eventually you're just going to put Stanton in left, and you're going to put you're going to keep judging right because Judge is the younger guy, and he and he found a way to succeed in right field last year. And I don't think there's a reason to move him. And I think Stanton, if he says when he came in, said he, you know, we're all in this together. I want to be a team guy. We're all going to be team guys, essentially. Then that's you being a team guy, recognizing the younger guys comfortable there. It really is his team that you're stepping into, even though he's only been in the bigs for one full season. But it's his team you're stepping into. It's you. You should be the guy that moves the left field. Yeah, and I think Stan. He said it. I, I, even there was talks last year. Donnie Madden, Donnie Baseball, down in Miami, had suggested perhaps moving Giancarlo out into left field, get a few reps. See if, see see what it's like, and you know he he was kind of like like you said his first uh, his first spring training debut wasn't the prettiest, but I think for Booney, that's the most obvious choice. Put Stanton in left, make make that a platoon with Gardner. You have Judge and right, 
and hopefully uh, Aaron Hicks battles it out in, in center with, with Ellsbury. Because you also have the DH spot, which you mentioned, which is exactly. I mean, just so huge for them in the AL. So you could go, you go stand and left, judge and right, and then you have another an, another right-handed stick at DH. Maybe make, make Gary Sanchez your DH that day. Give him a blow behind, behind the bat. Aaron Boone's going to have so much fun with that lineup. Uh, I mean, yeah, listen. If he goes 161-1, and one, I'm upsetting. Yeah, you're 100% right. And you know what else is upsetting? When you have a broken window or door or anything in your house, and we have somebody for you if that does happen to you, and that's Hawthorne Glass and our man Angelo. Call Hawthorne Glass at 973-427-4344. Schedule your home consultation with Angelo today, and when you call, use the AA Balls promo. Get 10% off on your first purchase. Call Angelo. He's got over three decades of quality service. That's right, three decades, 30 years plus quality service in the glass industry. Call him at 973-427-4344. When you hear the Hawthorne Glass promo, you know the deal. We flip it, we we abort mission, and we drop it right into what do you got. Last week, we believe, if I know my partner, we split our points last week, one and one. Anthony took home the game choice with the Celtics and the Houston Rockets, 123. Houston Rockets win to 120 against the Celtics. Anthony did call that he wanted to see if they were still going to their 15-game win streak, which they did and have now beat the Thunder and gone to a 16-game win streak so the Houston Rockets are streaking but so Anthony gets the point there and Andrew chose Taylor Hall of the New Jersey Devils he chose the Devils versus the Golden Knights they lost three to two it was a very good hockey game but Andrew gets the point on the performer side because he predicted that Taylor Hall would be going for his 25 point streak in the NHL and he completed that task with a goal and an assist against the Golden Knights so a clean split listen I, I actually watched a little bit of hockey game to tell you the truth I'm happy to hear that just because I had to I, I wanted to make sure that what I was going that was what Sunday yes sir alright so I knew what I had Saturday night I mean that was for anybody who watches basketball I mean it was up and down Boston was, I mean, Houston was, it was, it was neck and neck most of the game. You, you could kind of see the chink in that Boston armor, that young, that young core of Tatum and Brown. They're not quite ready yet to take that leap and beat a team like Houston, let's say. I can see Boston taking Houston. That could be your potential NBA championship matchup right there. I don't care what you tell me. They're better with Gordon Hayward, and we're not going to be able to see that till next year. Right. But I think that's where, where you're going to see them be ready to contend. Plus, the year of playoff experience those young guys you just mentioned will get this season. Exactly. And, I mean, Brad Stevens, that dude's straight. Best coach in the NBA, in my opinion, behind Greg Popovich. It was, I mean, Spurs keep doing it regardless. No matter what, but I just believe he he's just so good. He was so good on the college level. He was so good on the NBA level. So, we're in the what do you got. Anthony, I know you're going a different direction, but as you always do, you're staying on the hardwood. What is it? What do you got? What do you got? Andrew, what month is it? I believe it is March. March Madness. Madness. Let me get you warmed up a little bit. Listen, my Big Ten 20 was last week. Penn State put up a good showing. We're not really a basketball powerhouse. We were one game out of uh, the championship against, uh, I think Michigan would have steamrolled us because they, they steamrolled everybody throughout the Big Ten. 
Nice little run for Penn State, though. But I'm going to sh- – I think it's exactly what we needed to get in. So you may see Penn State get an at-large bid, maybe one of the 68. You'll find out Selection Sunday, brother. But listen, we have a lot of people in our lives who better listen to this podcast and better appreciate this what do you got. Because I'm going old school here. We're going Big East Tourney. Ooh. Give it to me, the Big East Tourney, Thursday, March 8th. Your – Sisters and brother-in-laws, alma mater, Seton Hall Pirates versus the Butler, I believe they're Bulldogs. Look at you. They are the Bulldogs. Give it to me. Ooh, 9.30. I'll be in bed. So someone tell me how it ends up. So I'll make sure I watch that for Please you. Please do. Check your local listings. Or you can just text anybody in my family. Maybe it's on True TV. No, that's what I add. And my cousins, six members oh, of right. the Romanella clan. Well, you're they're right. the Rutherfords, but either way, six one, members one of our clan. One does go to Penn State, though. We are. Shout out Madeline. But anyway, that's my what do you got. I'm watching Seton Hall because I'm pretty sure Seton Hall is going to go to the dance. It looks like they got a pretty, I think they're 20 and 12 or so, whatever the schedule, whatever the, whatever the number is, 22 and 12, whatever. they have a hell of a record. They're number three in the Big East, if I'm correct, and I believe Butler's the sixth seed. Correct, correct, sir. So and basically, this is this this will be the matchup to see who's going to play Villanova in the semis. As you always do, you cho- you generally pick your performer from one of the two teams in the game you got. I'm guessing you might go Seton Hall here. Tell me if I'm wrong. What did you read my notes beforehand? Correct, Bob. You're like an idiot savant, my friend. I was waiting to hear correct, Bob. Correct, Bob. Ding, ding, ding. Miles Powell. I don't... Ooh, I like that. Great choice. You may not know him, but he went from an off-the-bench, kind of a six-man role last year, to the takeover game guy. And he was voted by the Big East coaches... Most improved player. All right. And he's improved his points, I think, by like six or seven over, the, over this last year. Rebounds are up two or three. The dude's an all-around player. He gives him a hustle. He gives him that grit. He's only a sophomore. So, Seton Hall's got a few more years if they play their cards right. But I want to watch I want to watch Seton Hall. I want to watch them closely in the tournament. They may surprise some few guys, some few of these cats, and maybe, you know, make a little hate where maybe Sweet 16. I don't want to get, get, get greedy for all you Seton Hall Pirates. I, I know that since the conference, the huge conference overhaul and changeover, the Big East dropped right. a little bit. But the Big right. East is up a little bit this year. There are some good teams in the Big East. I think there, there are going to be a bunch of teams that are in from the Big East. And I do agree with you. I think Seton Hall could be a contender. But the reason why I just don't is because I've watched Seton Hall basketball for so many years of my life. And I feel like no matter who's coaching and no matter what players are on the team, they find a way to not make free throws. And they find a way to not be able to score on offense in the big games. And I just don't know if they're going to be able to get past the second round because just the bottom line is I've just never seen them get past the second round. I just don't trust that they can get past the second round. I bet you they get past the second round. Well, I like your picks. So those are two good picks. Give them to the people one more time, man, before I give you mine. Thursday night, March 8th, 9.30 p.m., Seton Hall versus Butler, little Big East tourney action. Starts actually started tonight, I believe, with a playing game, St. John's versus uh, Georgetown. Little, little Johnny, little little Patrick Ewing versus Chris Mullen action. Old school basketball. And my my player to watch, my standout as always, Miles Powell. All right.
What do you got? I, I like it. I'm staying on the hardwood with you as well, but I'm going to go to the NBA. And on Sunday at 3.30, I'm going to watch the Golden State Warriors against the Minnesota Timberwolves. And the reason why I'm choosing this game is really actually because of my what do you got performer. And I'm just going to give you trade off the bat. My what do you got performer is Carl Anthony Towns. And the reason why I'm going there is because I want to see if the Timberwolves are legit. Can they, late in the season, in a big game, they're fighting for playoff position. They want a highest seed possible in the Western Conference, so they hopefully don't have to run to the Rockets or the Warriors until later on in the playoffs, second, maybe third round, if they would be able to get there. Either way, I want to see if they can perform, and Carl Anthony Towns is the man for Minnesota. 20.5 points per game, 12.2 rebounds per game, and Two and a half assists per game, which I think is pretty impressive for a big man. He can really do it all. He can shoot from beyond the arc. He can play in the paint. He can play big. He's got handles like a point guard. I watch videos of him handling the basketball. Absurd. But either way, 3.30 on Sunday, Warriors versus Timberwolves. I think that's going to be a great contest, and it's going to show us a lot and about what the Minnesota Timberwolves might be able to do this season. I'm going to watch it because I love basketball. I'm a basketball junkie. And that's my squad, Golden State. Shout out Warriors. Because you're pumped about seeing what they do this year. So we got a good what do you got lined up this week for the recap. Seton Hall versus Butler and Miles Powell versus the Warriors and Timberwolves and Carl Anthony Towns. The what do you got scoreboard eight and five, Anthony, seven and five. Andrew, no, I made hold a, on, hold five on. and seven, Andrew. You said that twice. I was, I was like, I'm dreaming. I'm dreaming. I know you're just trying to catch up to me. I'm so moving I'm up, listen. though. Five and eight. I yeah. can't even. Math it's, it's is. I'm just. Tuesday. You know what? But you know Tuesday. what's happening? I'm just sad. Bueller. I'm sad that I'm not that good at the what do you got. Either way, eight and five for Anthony. Five and eight. I am sorry. It has been fun as it always is with you, Anthony. Download it on iTunes. Get it on Podbean. Get it on Anchor. YouTube. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Instagram at Double A Balls on both. Social media blitz. Love it. Great night. Episode eight. And been a pleasure. Everybody, be safe with this impending storm. Make sure you got your bread and your butter and your milk and eggs. Get your foods. And hey, what do you always do, Ant? What do you always do with the podcast? Tell your friends. Tell your friends. Tell your friends. This has been Andrew Ronell. That is Anthony Rinaldi. We are the Double A Balls Podcast. And we are out. No, Thank you for listening to the Double A Balls Podcast. Follow us or subscribe on iTunes, Anchor, and Podbean. Also, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Double A Balls or email us at doubleaballs at gmail.com. And be sure to tune in every Wednesday for the new release of the Double A Balls podcast.